I'm ready to live, enjoy my kids, experiencing things that I never have did. That's why I grind for my kids and my wife. Need stability, but for my time to go fly. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to our podcast, Same Ish, Different Dad, where we talk dad shit and what the world looks like from the dad lens. My co-host, the OGDB, is off this week, but I'm joined by a very special guest, as this week we are joined by award-winning award -winning columnist, local 92.9 radio host, and most importantly, fellow father, Jeff Calkins. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So, Jeff, for those that do not know, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and where you're from, and how did you end up in the great city of Memphis? Well, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, so that's certain a little bit different. But I'm, I'm, the, uh, I'm the sports columnist for the Daily Memphian, and I do a radio show every morning from a 9 to 11 on 92.9 FM ESPN. So those are the two jobs I juggle. And um, I came here 26 years ago. Um, to be the sports columnist for the Commercial Appeal. And I think at the time, I'd spent two years in Alabama as a writer and then two years in Fort Lauderdale as a writer. And I think I thought probably I'd spend two years here and shove off and you look up and it's been more than two decades and I'm a happy Memphian. No, absolutely. So I know you've told this story before on air, but for those that don't know, you know, you went to Harvard, Harvard Law. Uh, so how do you go from Harvard, Harvard Law, you're practicing law to being a sports writer in Memphis? It's funny, the new, the new woman who was just uh, nominated to be on the Supreme Court, she was nominated from the DC, she's a, right now a judge at, uh, on the DC, uh, US Court of Appeals for the DC Circuit. And I clerked on that, I clerked for a judge on that court and, and went to work every day in that building uh, for a year. And then I worked for a law firm in DC um, where I worked with one of, the, one of the lawyers in the firm was John Roberts, who's now the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. So um, I was, you know, I was a reasonably successful law student, but I was a terrible lawyer. And I, and mostly because I didn't like it. Um, you know, I had to sort of will myself through it. If, if you, if you can remember sort of writing a paper in college or something, it, it, or you have to sort of take a breath and say, all right, I'm going to work on it for two hours. That's sort of what I felt like my entire legal career. I was forcing myself to, to, and I was intensely unhappy, um, honestly. And I, ever since I've thought that, 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 you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about where people should go to college or whatever else, but the real trick in life, I think is figuring out what you want to do that, that will put food on the table, but will also sustain you and entertain you and where you feel like you're making a contribution and can be your best self. And I think that's really hard to figure out. And for me, it took all of my 20s. I was a lawyer till I was 30, basically. And I was so intensely unhappy. I said, I got to try something else. And people will occasionally, they'll say, oh, what a great story that you followed your dream. I didn't know when I went to be a sports writer that it was going to, that I was going to love it, that it was going to work out. Even after I did it for a couple of years, I was making $225 a week in small town Alabama, and I didn't know it would work. Um, so so I, I think it's really hard. Some people know instantly what they want to do with their lives. I, I did not. And, but after a couple of years of writing, I, I figured out that this was, this is, this would work for me. And it's been an absolute blast and I've never sort of looked back. Um, but ever since I've sort of had, I've, I've had great sympathy for people 
trying to figure out what to do for a living. I think it's one of the really hard um, things in a life is to is to is to is to figure out how to put bread on the table and and be entertained in the process. No, absolutely. So I'm 37, about to be 38. So almost my entire life since I've been reading, I've been reading you. So I've definitely come up reading the stories and you've written some great ones. So I'm certainly happy that you went that route. But I'm going to get into a little bit of your childhood. Eighth of nine kids. Is that right? I'm the eighth of nine children. Yep. Man. So what was childhood like and what's that biggest lesson you learned being the eighth of nine? Well, childhood, what was childhood like? I mean, it's funny. People assume we were Catholic. We were not. Both of my parents were physicians. We lived on a little farm. And right now we're selling the family farm, really. It, it family farm. It's a play farm. It's 20 acres and a big brick house in, in Buffalo, outside of Buffalo. And I mean, my childhood was idyllic in the sense that, um, you know, we, 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 we were you know, we were playing in the creek and, 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 um, you know, collecting polywogs and, uh, and I had an egg root when I was a kid, I sold eggs, um, around the neighborhood. And, um, so it was, and with one of nine, you always felt like you were part of something bigger than yourself. Um, because honestly, outside of Buffalo at that time, there's a lot of Catholic families. And so we were not exceptional being a family of nine, really. There were the Colellos had 11 and the Hearts had nine. And there were a lot of big families at that time. But you always felt like you were part of something special. And I still do. Like we still do a family Zoom since mom, dad died and then mom got sick. And so during COVID, we started doing a family Zoom every Saturday. And we still do it now that they've both departed with the nine kids. Most of us, most Saturdays, most the nine of us jump on this Zoom. Um, because what happens is when you have that big a family, it has its own culture. You know, it, 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 we have our own language, our own culture. And so I feel incredibly lucky to have been one of nine. Um, it's also true that, you know, there's, there's disadvantages. I really do think, um, you, you struggle for attention, you know, when you're one of nine a little bit, I think that's just true. Um, you do, and we were not the most emotive uh, affectionate family anyway. So there was some of that. Maybe like my eight siblings and I are all, you know, I'm kind of the black sheep. I have got a brother who's a, a professor at Johns Hopkins, a sister who's a professor at Columbia, a brother who's a professor at Northwestern. Um, I, I feel, you know, a little bit, I do. I feel like I have all these more accomplished siblings, but I think one of the reasons people became so accomplished was we felt like we had to you know, sort of fight for attention a little bit when you're one of nine. Yeah. So you mentioned the accomplishments of, of your siblings. Was there a competitive or is there still any kind of competitive nature with your siblings? You know, it's not, no, like I'm, I'll hear about someone I'll, here in Memphis. I'll hear about someone who went to see my brother, Hugh, who's in charge of extrophysiology at Johns Hopkins. So if, if you go, if you've got something wrong with your heart and you want to see the world's expert on something wrong with your heart. It may well be my brother, Hugh. And so I've had people in Memphis come up to me and say, hey, uh, I want to see your brother. And I'm thrilled. Like I, I, I revel in the fact that he is accomplished or I'll occasionally tell people that people who work in education, I'll say, um, particularly if they're in elementary education, I'll say, have you ever, do you know who Lucy Calkins is? And, and there are people who like want to faint because 
my sister sort of literally wrote the book on teaching reading and writing to kids. Um, and, and so it's, it wasn't competitiveness with them, but it was, you didn't want to be the screw up. You know, I, that, that's certainly true. Like I remember National Honor Society, there used to be, you know, in our, in our high school, I went to a public high school outside of Buffalo and you could get a National Honor Society in your junior year of high school or in your senior year, but like 12 kids got in their junior year. And I remember I was terrified that I would be the first Calkins that didn't get in as a junior. I, I for years, I was terrified of that. So it wasn't a, I need to outdo my siblings, but it absolutely was, I need to keep up with my siblings. Absolutely. You got you to gotta live up to that name. So you've spoken a lot about your parents, including some, some beautiful columns, obviously in their, in their passing, but man, what a life it seemed that they led. I think they were 99 and 98. What was your the age? Of your died at, my dad died at 99. He fell down the stairs. He was going, it was after Christmas two years ago. He was going to get a recycling box in the basement. He was still taking care of my mom and um, was very vibrant. And he fell down the stairs and hit his head. And that was it for him. And I got to say, that is the way to go. If you can go at 99 um, in good health, falling down the stairs and banging your head, um, I, you should choose that, pick that lever because that's the way to go. And then my mom, it was very different. She was very frail and um, really, it was a pretty, for her, her last four years, I'd say were really hard. And I think anyone who has elderly parents can understand sort of all the dynamics of this. But, um, and so she died on her 97th birthday this past October. Oh, wow. Yeah, so switching gears just a little bit, talking about, you know, your three boys, you talked about them a lot. I think there was even a guest appearance by one of your sons, if I remember right. But just talk a little bit about what they're up to. I think one of them, I was up in New York, if, that, if I remember that right. Yeah, so I have three sons, uh, Ben, Andrew, and Peter. Ben is an investment banker in New York City. Um, and he's somewhat going through a little bit what I went through. Like he likes it fine. He has a he has a quote unquote great job, makes a good living as an investment banker, but I don't think he loves it. And so I, I'll, I'll be interested to see how he sorts that out. Andrew is a junior at uh, UT Chattanooga. Andrew is on the autism spectrum. You, you'd say he's a kid with Asperger's as in if they used to, if Asperger's was still a thing, they've sort of gotten rid of that definition. But so he's very high functioning, but he's quirky and um, has some of the, the, the things that kids, challenges that kids on the autism spectrum have. Um, UT Chattanooga has a great program for kids on the autism spectrum, as does, honestly, Christian Brothers now. I'm on the board of a, of a uh, organization at Christian Brothers that deals with kids and uh, helps kids on the autism spectrum sort of transition into college. And then my youngest, Peter, is a sophomore at Duke this year. Um, so yeah, I'm an empty nester but still worry all the time. No, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my oldest is 16. So I'm a little bit away from the car. I got 16, 13, so 16 six is three. what grade? 16 is sophomore. He's a, he's a freshman. We held him back a year. He's, he's deals with some of the same stuff you were just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So we're dealing with all that. He's a how freshman. old are the others? The others are 13. My girls, I have a 16 year old boy, a 13 year old girl, a six year old girl and a three year old boy. Oh my goodness. Oh yes. my goodness. No wonder a, you do a dad podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I got all that. Yeah, absolutely. So I can get advice from guys like you that have been there yeah, and done right. this. 
But yeah, so I, I've talked about this a lot with other guests. What was it like when you first found out you're a dad the first time? Was it fear and anticipation, anxiety? Oh, I think that's a thrill. You know, we had a little bit of a hard time getting pregnant. Not terrible, but a little bit of a, you know, people always think, you know, you when you hear when you're a high school student, you first time, you know, you get in the back seat and it's going to happen instantly and it doesn't always happen instantly. So we were thrilled um, when that, you know, when, when, when number one was coming. Um, and I don't remember particular fear. Um, I remember excitement, but then actually one of the things that I had happened. So I was, Ben was eight months old and we had a, uh, we had him in daycare cause my, uh, my wife worked and I worked. And so we had him in daycare and he got, you know, the traditional like ear infections all the time and whatever else. So there was one day she would go to, she went to the nursing class at Baptist East and, um, and the person who ran the nursing class said, Hey, if anyone wants a nanny, um, my nanny, uh, or the, 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 basically there's this other nanny, the, the other, other, another person who teaches the other class has, is moving to Chicago and that person's nanny is available. So we said, you know what, we're going to dig deep because we don't, we hate that Peter, that Ben is continuing to get ear infections and sick at daycare. You struggle with guilt like you do at daycare. Right. And so, um, so we hired this nanny. I was up watching the Mark McGuire home run. I was covering the Mark McGuire home run race that weekend. And I got a call from Julie saying that something was wrong with Ben. And it turns out that in his second day with this nanny, he had broken his femur. And she was actually subsequently investigated, the nanny was for child abuse. Oh, wow. Because you don't, you're not supposed to just break your femur. You know, there was no good explanation for why he broke his femur. So I remember driving back from St. Louis um, just in a angry, uh, protective, you know, and then, so then we actually, he was in a spica cast, which goes from your toe up to your waist, basically. And they have to cut a little hole so you could put a diaper in there in the cast. And, um, you know, we carried him around for three months. I mean, so it was, I think everyone has their challenges raising these little kids. And that was one of our challenges. Of course, you know, we'll never forget that and he'll never remember it. You know, he, to this, you know, Ben is now 24 years old and an investment banker in New York, and he doesn't remember having a broken femur, but we still have the cast. Absolutely. So you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily the competitiveness with your siblings, but you didn't want to be the first Calkins. Do you have, has that passed down to your sons and they don't want to, you know, break that streak. They want to be successful and do the things that you did. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, so now I have 32 nieces and nephews. There's 32 in the next generation. And a lot of them are super accomplished. And mine are at the young, because I was eighth of nine. My kids are coming along are at the younger end of their cousins. And so there's a lot of the cousins who've gone to Harvard and Yale and like done. And so they do pick up some of that. Um, but it's funny because I really think, I really think that that happiness and accomplishment are not, you know, synonymous. And um, I'm a little bit cursed with this sort of, you're supposed to accomplish things, but I really, I tried to get over myself about that. Like I, I, I in the end, 
you know, the goal is to find some way to be happy and productive and make a living and all those things. And it's not really about collecting ribbons. Like one of the things I realized I did wrong was one of the reasons I became a lawyer was I always tried to do the most prestigious thing. I tried to, you know, if I could get into Harvard Law School, I'd go to Harvard Law School. If I could get a job at a law firm and get a signing bonus. And where did it get me? I was miserable at age 30. And so um, it, it doesn't come, I, I really do try to emphasize that it's their own path, but it's hard. I like, honestly, that's hard. We all as dads have our own sense of what happiness and success looks like. And if our kids vision of that looks different than ours, um, it's, it's hard to adjust to. So my, my, my kid who's on the autism spectrum, like he's not on a typical Saturday, he would be happy to be in, um, you know, playing some kind of a, uh, card game or, you know, whatever, uh, Dungeon of Dragons or something with, and it looks to me like, what do you, like, <laughs> it would not be a life that would make me happy, but it makes him happy. And I think that's something that as a parent, you sort of have to adjust to that your happiness and their version of happiness aren't going to necessarily look exactly the same. I struggle with that right now with my 16 year old, because you're right. It's the drive that I feel like my father and my grandfather instilled in me and working at a young age, cutting grass, whatever it was, saving right. money in the summer. He has none of that. He, so he's, he'll, he'll turn 16 in about a month and he has yet to get his driver's permit. Doesn't have any interest in that. I'm like, you're right. gonna be 16. You don't want to drive. And it's like, no, why, why? It's like, I'm asking the craziest question, but yeah, so you're right. So um, do you, I, I would often wonder this because I feel like my two older kids got a different version of me. Cause when I first became a father, Jeff, I was 21 years old, right? I was a child when I had my first right. kid and it was intentional, believe it or not. I don't know what I was thinking, but <laughs> my, my younger kids have a little bit different version of me. And I wonder, was it similar with like that with you, with each kid, did you get them more laid back? And for me, do you think that was knowledge or age or a little bit of both? Oh, I think a lot of it is, I think a lot of it's, knowledge and nervousness and complacency you know like your first kid you're you want to do everything right and you you know you sign them up for soccer and you go buy the cleats and you like do all the uh, and the third kid you're like you know whatever it it, 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 it just true it, it i i don't think there's um i i think it's one of the things that's true of every parent that their first kid you know, I don't know, like you worry about every little thing. You're, 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 your third kid, you're just, you know, laying them on the floor and saying, I'll be back in a minute, you know, whatever. To get. Like, it's just a very, it's a different deal. And I think it's, it's a comfort level, but I think that comfort level that you feel is probably good for the kid, as opposed to the nervousness that you, I mean, I remember giving Ben his first bath, but I don't remember giving Andrew his first bath or Peter his first bath, but I remember yeah. giving Ben his first bath. So, um, it's terrifying. It is terrifying when you first have a kid. So it is a different version of you. I mean, I had the other, the other thing that happened is I, so I got, I'm great friends with my ex now. Julie is a really good friend of mine. Um, but we got divorced when the kids, Ben was going into sixth grade and, and Andrew would have been going into fourth grade and Peter would have third or fourth grade and Peter would have been, you know, kindergarten or first grade. And so they had that to deal with, which is a very different dynamic than I had growing up. Um, and, um, and so 
and, and they were all at different stages when that happened, you know? And so I think it was different for Ben than it was for Andrew, than it was for Peter. I mean, divorce is a, is a jarring thing for kids. I can't imagine because we did get along pretty well. It's hard if you get along pretty well, if you don't get along, I can't imagine what it's like if you don't get along. Cause it's hard if you do get along. So, you know, that was another element of that. Yeah, absolutely. So my kids, similar story. We got along decently well, obviously, as as well as you can expect for a couple getting right. divorced. But you're right. It's something that I hope that my younger two kids never have to do. I'm remarried to my younger two kids, mom, and I hope it lasts forever. Right. But right. I'm not as naive as I once was to think that it's all full of roses and sunshine. Right. But it is different having to manage your kids emotions. And for me, a, a lot of uh, maybe personal feelings I had to put to the side and really just think, okay, this is about them. It's not about us anymore because there is no us. And I think I see a lot of times people aren't able to do that. They use the kids and, and, and I hate to see that my kids, hopefully they'll never be able to say that about me, Jeff, but you, you talked about the, you know, the divorce and everything, how hard that is, but you're also obviously, you know, the column you're writing sports. So that's happening at all days of the week at all times of the night. How do you manage being a father of three also, you know, a divorced dad and still manage to write the things you do and, and do all the radio shows you do. Yeah. Well, it, in some ways it's easier because um, my schedule is, you know, I got to be at a Grizzlies game or a Tigers game when the games happen, but I was always pretty available to go to school plays or to, if a kid needed to go to the doctor after the, you know, at whatever, at some point or their, their, their orthodontist appointment or that kind of thing. Um, I was working a lot at night and, and, uh, and so the advantage was I'm, it was a pretty flexible job. And, and, and that way um, it was a positive, but I remember so right after I got divorced, Gary Parrish and I were doing a radio show from, I think it was like seven to nine on another station, not the station that we're on now. And it was called the Jeff and Gary show is what it was called. Gary at the time had been a prep, prep writer at the commercial appeal. And then he, at that point he was at cbssports.com, but wasn't particularly well-known. So it was the Jeff and Gary show and it was from seven to nine. And then we were asked to come over to ESPN, 92.9 FM ESPN to bring the show over there but Dan Barron, the station manager, he wanted a afternoon show. He said, hey, we're gonna do it. We're gonna just drive time in the afternoon from four to six. And I'm like, well, I can't do, like I'm a single dad. Four to six is when parenting happens. You know, like it, it for, for it's, it's when all the stuff happens. You bring them home from school, you get them going on their homework, you, you know, whatever, you're, you're schlepping them around to, to three different, you know, lessons or SAT tutoring or whatever. And so I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. And um, so it became what we decided was that I would just join the show. It would be Gary's show from four to six. And then I would just join the show at five o'clock on the phone from wherever I was. So it was called the Gary Parrish show with Chef Calkins. And, and now it's the Gary Parrish show. I still join him at five o'clock on the phone, but that's where that came from. That came from me realizing as a single parent, that I couldn't be doing a radio show from four to six. Now, had I been married, I might've been able to, you know, still married, I might've been able to do it, um, but yeah, I couldn't do it. And so then, and then the radio show that I ultimately did do a few years later of my own 
is nine to 11. And that's perfect because the kids were in school by then. I had the kids, you know, you'd have the kids ensconced in school. And so nine to 11. Now, occasionally I'd still get a call from one of them saying they forgot their lunch or forgot their shoes. I had one at once. Once Peter, uh, I think it was when his brother was driving. It was, the, I think that's true. It was when Andrew was driving him. Andrew was driving Peter to school. Peter couldn't drive yet. And I got a call from Peter saying, dad, I'm at school, but I forgot my shoes. He'd gotten into the car with Andrew and Andrew was off with his class now. And so who's going to bring, you know, do you do tough love there? Who's going to bring him his shoes? How the hell did you go to school without shoes to begin with? But, um, and so it, it's still the radio shows gets in the way to some extent, but it was always a juggling. It was more so because I used to travel a lot. Like I used to, I've covered eight Olympic games. Well, when I'm covering Olympic games, you're gone for three weeks. Um, and there I have to credit his mom. Like even in the midst of divorce, she was always willing to, you know, we shared, we went back and forth every other week is how we did it. Yeah. Um, and I credit her for that. Like when we were going to fight about custody, I was, I wanted to split in the middle. Like you do three days, I do four days, I do four days, you do three days kind of thing. And she said, no, if we're going to do 50, 50, we're going to do it every week. So the kids don't have to go back and forth more than, than once a week. And I thought that was critical in the end. And then also critical is that when I had those times when I had to be at the Olympics for three weeks, she would do the heavy lifting. And so it's important, you know, it's important, you know, to, to certainly to have a supportive spouse, but if it's not a spouse to have a supportive ex-spouse, you know, like in the end, it is still some, it is our project together to raise these kids. And I think, you know, I give her credit for never forgetting that. Oh, absolutely. A similar thing with ours. We, we seven on seven off and the, I guess the, the growth and that we've had in that process, similar to yours, right? She always was stepped up and, and vice versa, right? If she had something, we step up. And I hope that one day my kids, my older kids can look back on that and realize the, not that we sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. Being a parent is a sacrifice, but uh, the sacrifices that just, we did what we were supposed to do. And I think that's a little harder than we give ourselves credit for sometimes, but um, for, so I asked this question also to every guest, is there anything that you do for yourself, whether it's running, working out, exercising that kind of away from work, kids, all that stuff? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I actually, um, I had been a runner, but my knees have sort of given out lately. Um, and for the longest time, I really, I, I worked and I raised kids. Like that's what I did, you know? Um, and I really, it's once they get out of the sort of physically exhausting little, when they're little that, that, you know, then I, then I started running more. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I ran a lot and, but now my knees have given out. So I literally have just recently taken up, uh, hot yoga, Pilates, that kind of, I'm experimenting with all of that. Cause it's hard not, but, but honestly, this is different now. I'm an empty nester. I really do find one of the interesting things about being an empty nester is, so my experience of parenthood is when they're little, it's physically exhausting. When they're, when they're teenagers, it is mentally exhausting. And, and that's worse. Like even, even if you get along with them, if they don't hate you, if they don't, it is still mentally exhausting. Like, cause you're worrying all the time. You know, I was worrying about their grades. I was worrying about their choices. I was worrying about, you know, whatever screw up they'd make and so once they go to head out off to college or wherever 
what I find is I still worry, but it's not nearly as much because I, I can't. I can't worry about whether they're home at midnight. I can't worry about, I just, I'm not in a position to. And so it's, it's been really liberating in terms, I still worry in a macro level. Right now I'm worrying about their summer jobs for Andrew and Peter, you know, are they gonna have summer jobs? There's, you know, whatever. I still worry and I'm still active in their lives. But then you also start to reclaim more of your life because you're suddenly like, okay, I got this time. And so I've done originally more running and now I'm trying to find something, something else to do. Um, uh, because it is important, I think, to stay, you know, physically active. Yeah. So one of my favorite stories I heard, Jeff, and, and I don't even mean to bring up a bad memory, but yep. was that you were talking about running and that you went home and that you came back out to leave and my car, some, someone had stolen your car. car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was a, uh, so, uh, I'm totally forgetful. And I think some of it is, as a dad, you're juggling so much in life that you, it's hard to keep track of everything, but I'm, I really can't blame it entirely on that. I'm, I'm a, I'm an adult human being. So I got a, because we needed extra cars at one point, because the kids were all home for college or whatever. So I got a really old Mercedes, a 1998 Mercedes for $5,000. And I'm not a Mercedes driver. Like that's too fancy a car for me. But even though it was a, a $5,000, 98 Mercedes, I'm like, okay, I got a Mercedes now. And the first week that I had it, that Sunday morning, I went down to my driveway and the damn car was gone. It was just gone. And I'm like, holy smokes, I'm a victim of car theft here in Memphis, Tennessee. I, they say this happens and, and this is what happens. I get a fancy car and all of a sudden, so I called the police and, um, they came over and I, you know, I asked, what do you think, you know, is it like a joy ride or is it off to a chop shop? And they, they were said, well, you never know. So, and I hadn't insured this car yet either. I had insured it only for, for liability, but not for, so it was like $5,000 down the drain. So I said, all right, I'm going to go for a run to get my mind off of it after the police left. And I was running. And then I remembered that the day before I had run and it had started to rain as I was running along on this Sunday, I remembered, you know, I, I ran, went for a run yesterday and it started to pour on me. And then I remembered that the run had started from Sea Isle Park, which is nearby my house. And I had driven to Sea Isle Park. I had been running, it started to pour rain. So I ran directly home instead of running back to my car. And in fact, I had reported my car stolen, even though I had left it at Sea Isle Park. So the problem then is, what do you say to the police? Do you call them back and you say, I'd like to cancel my order? Um, and, you know, uh, and, and it turns out that they have to come back to your house to cancel your order. So that's ignominious. But yeah, uh, that's me. Absolutely, man. Well, reporting my car stolen. Yeah, I can imagine the the story it was. I mean, had they ever heard of a guy reporting his car they stolen? They actually said it happens more commonly than you thought. And when oh, I wow. talked about it on the radio, different people had called in and did tell me sympathetically about the time they reported their lost car stolen. So I'm evidently not alone. So you're not alone. That's a good thing. Well, Jeff, I'll end it with one last question for you. If you could give an expectant father any piece of advice, what piece would that be? God. That's a heck of a thing, you know. It is. What what is the what is the advice? What 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 
what would you say? Uh, you know, we've had great examples. So we've had people just say, just breathe, um, soak it all in. You know, my dad always used to say, cherish every moment, which I think is a little bit, um, I think it's kind of some fake hustle, Jeff, because I don't want to cherish every single moment, the bad ones. So my thing is just to uh, be aware of everything that's happening. Um, I, I guess I would say, I mean, I have lots of thoughts about it. Um, I really think what was, I, I remember this about, I remember this about my first kid is that there, you go along and you think, all right, this is the best stage. Like there'll be four weeks old and you'll say, ah, oh, this is the best stage. And then it gets better. Like then, then, then but then, then you're like two at, at six months, you're like, ah, oh, this is the best stage. And then at like a year and a half, you're like, ah, oh, this is the best stage. It, and it keeps happening like that until probably they're teenagers, in which case you don't say that anymore. Um, <laughs> it really is an amazing, wonderful trip. It really is. It's fantastic. Um, um, but I think in terms of advice, actual advice, I, I'm wary of electronics. I really am. Like, I, I really think reading to your kids matters and being present with your kids matters rather than just sort of sticking them in front of electronics. I, I really do. Like, and it's really tempting to just stick them in front of electronics. Um, and I have a sister who, her kids are like, they're 25. She has twins. And even in high school, they shared a flip phone. And I had great admiration for the fact that she was able to like keep them so, you, you in fact want to deprive your kids a little bit. You don't want to give them everything, you know, like there is, there is something to be said for simple pleasures, you know, and, and not just, and when it comes to electronics, not sticking a game, you know, a, what, a, a Nintendo switch in their hand at age two and, 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 and letting that parent them. So I think that's one thing I would say. But the other thing I think I really would say is, and I think this is the biggest one, is tend to your coupleship. Like it's real, marriage becomes hard when the kids arrive and you start keeping score of, well, who's doing more and who's doing less. And you start, um, you know, wanting to win arguments as, you know, whatever, I really think, and, and quiet resentment sneaks in. And I think resentment is the death of relationships. Um, and, um, and I think that is the moment to be really attentive to your partner. And if you're parenting with someone to be like, I used to, I used to, want to have, I used to remember, I used to wish there was a film crew that would follow my ex and I around when we were still married. So it could establish who really did more work because we, we were operating from this different concept, conception of reality. Like I thought I did everything and she thought she did everything. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that, is that there is no truth. There is no objective truth. There's my truth and there's her truth. And that if you care about that person, their truth is what really matters. Like it's not, you know, and so I, I to me, I don't think, I mean, I, I don't think divorce is a disaster. I think my kids are, are, you know, have certainly survived divorce and whatever, but I think 
I have friends right now who have little kids and this is when it gets hard. And so I think, you know, think about your spouse and, and you do, you have to put yourself, I'm, I'm with you in the sense of you have to take care of yourself. You've got a running or whatever it is, but you're not the top priority anymore. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think you've got you've to gotta be aware of that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I learned a lot in divorce. And so from the good that can be gleaned from the divorce was that I learned a lot in my second marriage. And hopefully my, my wife will listen to this and say that I'm better this time. But Jeff, I just can't thank you enough for joining us. And I really appreciate the time. That's fun to be on. Absolutely. So thank you, everybody, for yep. listening, for joining Same Ish. Absolutely, Jeff. Thank you, man. So thanks for everybody for joining Same Ish Different Dad Podcast, where each week we're going to tell stories that are real and raw, like what you heard today, what it's like to be a dad in the real world. And our hopes is you'll get something from us and our guests, even if it's just a laugh. Please don't forget to join our Facebook page, Same Ish Different Dad. Like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, and for you Android users, Google Podcasts. We'll see you all next week where we have Zach ROI Williams for DB. I'm Randy. We out. Thanks. Ready to live, enjoy my kids, experiencing things that I never have did. That's why I grind for my kids and my wife. Need stability, but for my time to go fly.